This is Ariel Halevi with my podcast, The Greater Context. And in today's episode, I'll be hosting Hadas Slonim, Marketing and Sales Manager at the Epoch Times. Hadas and I will be discussing three counterintuitive strategies that her company has employed successfully for over 10 years. And what are some of the fundamentals to successfully going against the grain? Hello again, my fellow cave people struggling in the midst of the digital revolution. It's time for another episode of The Greater Context with Ariel Halevi. Hello again, my friends. We're here again at the Google for Startups campus, Google's home for startups. Uh, specifically, I'm in their creator studio here in Tel Aviv. This is where we are using the state-of-the-art video and podcast room that Google makes available for free to startups in the Tel Aviv ecosystem. Um, in general, this campus offers the opportunity to gain access to all kinds of Google products, connections and best practices, as well as programming and events for startups. And this is all meant to basically help drive innovation and collaboration within the incredibly rich startup ecosystem here in Tel Aviv. And if you want to learn more about what this campus has to offer, you can go find out at www.campus.co forward slash Tel Aviv. So I am quite excited about the session we have today, not only because of the guest that I have with us, who entered my life only just a few months ago, actually, but some connections go deep very quickly, but also because of the uh, theme of today's podcast, which is going to be doing counterintuitive things. That's what we're going to talk about today, um, especially counterintuitive things that work. Hadas Slonim. My guest, my newfound friend, VP Marketing at the Epoch Times Israel. Welcome. Hi. How are you <laughs> nice doing? Nice to be. Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you. We just spent an hour before this, um, before starting to record this episode, talking about everything. And every time we start a conversation, yeah. we feel like, okay. We, we, we need got, we, four days. We need four days. So <laughs> at some point, we're going to have to do that. We're going to have to yeah, put yeah. four days aside. Um, very quickly, Adas, what is the Epoch Times? Okay, Epoch Times is actually a global media group, Epoch Media Group. Our headquarters are in Manhattan, New York, but uh, we have many branches. We are the Israeli branch. We established in uh, 2005 in Israel, and we're now a magazine, and we have a lot of events, uh, content event, and subscription, and community, and we have all sorts of business and stuff, all related to content. Content? Yeah. This is what we do. Okay. But you said something very interesting, and we'll get to that in a minute. We're talking about printed content. At yeah. the end of the day, right, um, people here in Israel or Hebrew speakers all around the world mm -hmm. can, can basically yeah, subscribe. Yeah. Yes. We have a website. We have everything online, but the... The business is, is a printed print magazine. Okay, we're yeah. going to put a pin in that. That's <laughs> definitely one of the counterintuitive yeah, yeah, yeah. things that I want us to address. But, um, okay, what about you? Tell us a little bit about you. How did you get into this? Okay, so, of course, every story is a story, right? So, I was at home. We, I was 26 years old. I was home with my first baby. She was... Uh, First of, can we say? First of five. five. Of five, yeah. Another counterintuitive <laughs> thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and my husband was uh, one of the people that br brought 
Epoch Times to Israel. And he was talking in the living room while I was uh, with my baby about uh, the Epoch Times. Then they have a need for somebody to do, to do the marketing, the sales, the stuff. And he was like, oh, we're going to do it. We're fun to do it. And I was like, you know what? I will do it. And he was like, you're a student. <laughs> you study. What are you going to do? You have a baby. And I was like, I don't know why. You know what? I don't know why. I said, okay, I'm going to do it. And I have no idea how to do it. So I started doing it. And of course, uh, it was one of my babies. I still work in the Epoch Times. I love what I do. I have uh, five children. Five children. Five children. Five children. I mean, you do it once. Okay, I get it. You didn't know. You do it twice. I'm like, what are you thinking? Five times? Five, five times in like 11 years. <laughs> That's unbelievable. So, uh, yeah, and in all this time, I, I was working. I, I'm like, I do everything. And people that work with me knows I'm going on stages with a belly, like eight months, big belly in front of eight. Well, you can never start training people. your kids too early. Yeah. <laughs> and my kids know it as well. Like they know me. Uh, I understand at a young age that I'm, I, I must have like a lot of stuff together. I have, I love action. I love to do stuff. I like to do many stuff. I understand that just being a mother is not for me, but still just being a career, ma- career woman is also not for me. I love having a, a home to go back to. It gives my proportion in life. and It anchors you. Yeah, it anchors me very well because sometimes when, because the Epoch Times in the end are like, like startups, right? It is a startup in some way. Mm-hmm. And all the entrepreneurs know it, that you have a lot of ups and downs. And when you establish something from the beginning, like at, at first we didn't have an office and it can be very, very hard just to keep your head in the morning up and go and smile into people. Sure. And when you have children, they smile at you, it keeps you running. Or to cry at you and keep you up at night. Yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> but, <laughs> right, <I> mean, <laughs> but it keeps you in proportion. It's like you understand that your children is not everything. So you don't blame your children about everything in life or you it's not like the anchor of your life so because you have the work and you have the career mm-hmm. and opposite when you have troubles in your career you understand you have a family so to do them in the same time to be entrepreneur with a startup like epoch times it's a very hard startup and to have a, such a big family it's crazy but it's so crazy that it's working that it works yeah exactly yeah i think At the end of the day, you know, it really depends on where your passion is and what you like doing. Because when you do things that you love, they don't drain you, they fill you. Exactly. So I guess for some people, having kids would drain them. I think yours truly falls under that category. And then for other people, having kids, like my older sister, like you, it fills them. And the same thing for work. Some people go to work and they come home drained because they don't love what they do. And for me, if I'm sick and I'm not well and then I have to get up and give a 90-minute talk, it's almost the best pill I could take. Yeah, it me fills too. me. Um, so I guess it's really a combination of what fills us and what drains us. I, I think it's the, just the understanding of who you are. Yeah. When you understand who you are and you understand what is good for you, you can just go and do it and aim for it. And then from people in, from people on the side say to me stuff that whatever I should do, different from what I'm thinking, I can just, okay, this is your opinion. Mine is different. You know what? I think that's such a great segue into the topics that we want to talk about today mm-hmm. because I think the idea of knowing who you are may be one of the answers 
to the question I'm going to be asking, which is, how the hell have you lasted for 14 years Mm -hmm. um, as a business, as a for-profit business? Um, Given circumstances in the world, you started three years before the big financial crash in 2008. Um, And given given that you've basically looked the world in the eyes and said, screw that, I know who I am, we're going to do it this way, even though so much of the information around pointed in other directions. For example, print. Yeah. <laughs> you went to print. I mean, print is dead, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. who goes to print? You have you know publishers going bankrupt all over the world. You see online publishers are having a big problem sustaining themselves. Um, 24-hour news channels that are digital are finding it hard to fill the uh, like media in general, content creation, publishing, so, so difficult um, that you see companies like Wibbits, right? A very, very fast-growing Israeli startup that um, is not only saying content is not enough in its own right, um, certainly not in print, but even in dig- digital, it's not enough. And they'll, they're a software that turns written content into video segments because it's got to be live, it's got to be more engaging. Yeah. And you, you, you guys went and said, no, no, we're, we're going to build a business on print, yeah, we're going to do it in Hebrew only, yeah, which means your total addressable market worldwide is maybe fifteen to twenty million people, and we're going to do real, in-depth pieces, yeah, not like one hundred and forty characters on Twitter, which mm. is where the world was going, and yet here you are, fourteen years later, growing year after year. Um, I know because growing even better. Growing, you're right, a trajectory yeah. that's not only positive, yeah. but, uh, you know, rising yeah. in angles. And I've had the pleasure of being in some of your events and speaking in some of it. I mean, you're packing halls, seven, eight hundred people. Even more. It's even more. So I don't understand. I mean, I get it. You know who you are. That's powerful. But you're really fighting some major statistics here and you're winning. Can you? Uh, why? You know, we had this talk about should we do print or should we do be continued to do with print and we change okay at the beginning we were like this big uh, broadsheet newspaper and we changed a lot and we understand that we need to change and to be magazine so we have some learning curve there of course it's not just that we are doing print and we're going with the head against the wall but i think when you understand something and you believe in something because i remember the early days when I was the only salesperson, sales mar- the, the only person in the section of, I don't know, the business development. And I was going and talking with people, what I had to offer is my vision. We're going to be. And the content must be good because in the end, people see authenticity. People see your heart. And I think it's not that only the people that I go to sell the ads or to do business partnerships, see the people and see the heart and see what we aim for. Also the readers, they feel it. They feel when you go in and somebody just wants to get the money. Because our intention was to be, to do good quality stuff. And, and all the time when we're talking, the, we, we understand that people will see it. And we must uh, be genuine. We must talk the truth. Uh, in all of our conversation, we talk we want to have a business that uh, is everlasting for our children, for the next generation. So when you aim so highly and so morally, so also the people that came af- afterwards to work with us, 
they are like, they have the same values. What I like about, what, what, I mean, there's something in everything that you just said that really resonated with me and it, it reminded me of another example. Um, the authenticity that drove the conversation you had with sponsors, mm-hmm. right? Um, in my head, the sentence that formed when you said that was, we were looking for ads that would enable great content versus we're looking for content that will justify ads. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, you see so many, uh, so many publishers and media players in the world today think that the content simply is a way to create a revenue model from ads and let's just get as much content as we can. Wait, we're saying, no, 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 no. We're actually looking for ads that will enable content. Yeah. Um, and you the, know, yeah. when I was, uh, I remember uh, one meeting I had with a very big ad agency and I was talking with uh, one of the people there and I was like, this is the newspaper. This is what we're going to do. This is where we're going to be at. And he was like, and when I was there, I was like, wow, this ad agency, this is my dream. They are so big. The offices are so great. They're so beautiful. And when I was talking about the vision with the passion, with my eyes like burning flame of passion, and was like looking at me and says, wow, I'm so jealous of you. You can, you're going to do what you really love. Yeah. And, and they're not, and they're, and, yeah. And, and in the end, of course, you're going to succeed. And he was willing to work with me because he, he, he was so, it, it, it's like children meeting. And a lot of the times I feel when I talk with even big, big CEOs, like now we can, we can bring to the events very big CEOs, the most, uh, like TED Talks, whoever, okay? Every, we work with everybody. And when I, when I talk with the people, I, I look at them as, as they are children, as we are playing, as we are joined. It, yeah. and, they, and they want to work with us as well because they have something like that, that the people, all the people have something good inside. And when you flam, flare it up to them... It's very powerful. It's very powerful. And I remember one time... This woman, very influential woman, came to us and says, I stopped, like, before, I was reading only stuff in English. I had nothing to read in Hebrew until I met you, the Epoch Times, of course. And now I have something to read in Hebrew. And then I understand we... we That's we a very powerful statement because you have quite a few Hebrew magazines and newspapers in Israel. And yet, if she feels she had nothing to read... We'll talk about that later when we talk about the challenge of depth versus rating and quick and fast. What she was really saying is I have nothing meaningful to read in Hebrew. But then I understand we have all this intelligence, very intelligent people, very the most elite uh, financial in Israel that actually don't have something to read. I'm not talking about news. I'm talking to read. And then some. Mm. Then something changed in the way I did business development to the Epoch Times and marketing. Then I went all to all the high-end and people and then to where they live and market to them. And this, it's crazy. This was our blue ocean. Our blue ocean was the elite of the financial in Israel and the elite intellectual. This is another counterintuitive point because I know, look, I, I've, in my career, I've started for startups, three of which needed funding from investors. Um, one of the first things investors would look at is the total addressable market. 
And if it was anything below one, two, three billion dollars in market cap capitalization, mm-hmm. or, you know, um, they were like, yeah, we don't do that because they figured you have to go after such a big market so that you have a chance of getting to a critical mass that can be financial and mm-hmm. grow. Not to mention, everything's about becoming a unicorn, taking over the world. How do we become a billion mm-hmm. dollar market? How do we affect a billion people? And here you did something different and you said, I don't have to go after you know, a market the size of China. No. If I have the right offering, even to a much, much smaller market, I can be a successful business. Yeah. I can do what I want to do, right? But when you go to media, you don't go to do media because you want to be rich, <laughs> right? It's not the aim. The aim is to change the conversation. We wanted to change the narrative. We wanted to change the conversation. But you need to be successful. But you don't have you to must, be rich, yeah. but you have to be profitable enough yeah. to allow not only for sustainability, but to you grow. need to be profitable so that you can grow, so that you can fail. And mm-hmm. still survive because yeah. you need money for trial and error. So it's not, you know, pr- I don't see profit only as a function of financial greed. I, th- I see profit as a, an objective indicator of what works and what doesn't work. And I see it as, um, I see it as a foundation that allows experimentation. Of course. Right. So to that effect, I, I think that's part of the calculations of the investment firms that they, they say, are you going after something big enough that will allow you all mm-hmm, these things? Mm-hmm. And you didn't, you went after something small by all measures, objectively yeah. small. Um, and I love that because I think, I think that intuition in many, many cases um, is the product of cultural norms that don't necessarily reflect the world, I don't know how to, as it is scientifically. Right? I mean, every 10 years, every 15 yeah. years, there's a new hype, there's a new trend, there's a new but, paradigm. But the thing is, there is some things that will never change. The human, as a human, will never change. You think 50 years from today, people will be reading, ma- reading magazines? 100 I, years from today? Let me ask you this. You think 50 years from now, people will fall in love? You think a mother will feel for her children in 50 years what she felt a thousand years before? There is some things that will never change. Okay, but you th- I, that's pretty powerful. That's one of those we need four days <laughs> conversations. <laughs> so I'm really holding myself here. Um, but you know something? A, I'm not, I'm not going to get into this with you now because we don't have time, <laughs> but I will say this. I think 50 years from today, mm-hmm. even the things you said might change. Yes, I think everything might change. So, okay. Because I think that we may I no longer, that. I, I think we may no longer exist as a species the way we know ourselves. I respect that, but I disagree. don't. I disagree. Yeah, I think in, in actual, what we're trying to do in uh, Epoch Times is uh, trying to revive a conversation about uh, more traditional values, universal values of being good, of family, of uh, everything, of art, of beauty. So what I see actually is that people now starting to think about. Again, more traditional, universal. That doesn't explain universal. I mean, I get that. But if that's true, you would want to get to a billion people, wouldn't you? And if, the, if it's universal and it's good and it's high quality content. But you content, have, actually, you have epoch times in other languages, right? We are just... Just not We just a branch. We had, we had luck there because when we started uh, and we came to the New York offices... And we said, okay, we want to do something slightly different from what you are doing. And you are like, they are like, okay, what you are doing? Are you from Israel? Or, okay, whatever. Go and do it. Just be successful. So we changed 
a lot. I see. So we do a lot of things very different from all other, other uh, branches. And so yeah. we have the opportunity to play a lot because... Um, Where have you failed? A Not lot. you necessarily, wow. but what were some of the... You know, because it's, it, it's, it's, it's very easy and very dangerous and potentially frustrating to focus all of the things we learn from on case studies of success. Um, and that's usually where the media we focuses. Fell, we fell a lot. Where, we, uh, where, where was something where you said, we're going to do this with passion, with truth, uh, and still you hit a wall? It happens all the time. Happens all the time. And throughout the years, it, but the thing that, that changed, not, I will give you an example, but the, th- the things that change about failing is for me in one point, Like two years ago, we had a huge event from the outside. It looks very successful, mm-hmm. but for me, it was a major, major failure. But I knew... Objectively or subjectively? Like, did you say, oh, it could have been better? Or did the KPIs just not get achieved? Both. Both. I think it was okay. We, lo- we lost very little money. It wasn't so, so bad, but... For me, it was like, I knew, I knew that I'm going through f- to, to eat the wall and I'm going to fail. And it was all on me. But I understand there, at the point, while going to the cliff, I understand I must fall. I understand. I must fall. And while I'm falling, I will do it. With grace. With grace. <laughs> like, I will do it. I don't care. I need, I understood, I need it for my experience. I need, I, I understood, I need to front my colleagues and say to them I failed I it was something that I, I I knew I needed to do and now again we failed but uh, we stopped it before we failed before the cliff before the cliff and it, again it was a maturity to understand it's not going to be successful because before when we saw something is not going to be successful we say because like it We are commando. You know, we are like very small company. Now we're getting bigger, but all the time our mentality is small company, small budget, budgets, and don't have a lot of money, don't have a lot of resources. Mm-hmm. So we like guerrilla yep. war. But now we are the... So now... So every time we're going to fail, we say, we, we're going to do everything to succeed with the arms, with the legs, with I don't know what. We don't sleep. We, we, we succeed. But now we had something, uh, we were planning to do a very big event, a conference with very influential people, with um, parliament members, with the uh, n- keynote speaker from the U.S. Like everything was there. We started selling tickets, but something didn't sit with us. Something wasn't complete. And and I you was, but you didn't know what it was. It just felt that way? It felt that way. And I was going with this feeling a long time. And you can't come to people and say, mm, I have a feeling. <laughs> I have a feeling. But it didn't feel well. And then the selling of the tickets went well, but not as well as we used to. And everything was like, it's not bad. It's not, w- yeah. When it's completely bad, it's you good. See it. You see it. Right. When, when it's completely good, you see it. But in, when it's in the middle, it's like... And then we were sitting in a meeting, trying to think what we're going to do more, how to market. And... Somebody in the staff just say, "But 
why to do it this way? Why you decided? He was like, just asking us a very simple question, like, why? And we're like, okay, why? And we stopped there. And it's, it takes a lot of maturity, I think, to do it. Because one year before, I, I'm not sure that I was willing to admit the why. And I was like, you know what? It's not working. And we discussed and we said, okay, we cancel it. We cancel it now. And we, wow. we let all the people know we cancel it. And we ask, okay, and then we ask ourselves, what are we going to tell them? What are we going to tell? What, what is the reason? Mm, what is the reason? And we say, okay, the truth. The truth. The truth. We're just going to say to them the truth. That we are not, we are not feeling that this is the level we should be. And this is the authenticity. And I was talking before, we're just going to be, very clear we sent emails to the people that purchased the tickets we talked with everybody the venue the producers the, the everybody and everybody like the feedback that we got back was, was powerful. Am- I'm powerful sure. and amazing i'm sure like one of them was writing to me i i appreciate your honesty i understand completely like and i know that when i found this person again is with me completely Because people appreciate honesty. People appreciate authenticity. And actually, this is the traditional universal values I'm talking about. Because truth will never change. Authenticity will never change. To be truthful with people will never change in 50 years. Listen, <laughs> I, I, no, I agree with that. I love that. I think that it's a matter of authenticity. I think it's a matter of transparency. Mm-hmm. I think it's a matter of vulnerability. Yeah. Right? The willingness to be vulnerable, not to be, I'm amazing, I'm always succeeding. I mean, think about the, think about what social media, there's a huge conversation now about social media, mm-hmm. right? And um, I, you, you couldn't be further away from everything that is social media. You're not instant. You're not shallow. You're not going after a billion people. Um, and there was, I don't know if you, if you had a chance to see this recently, Sasha Baron Cohen gave a whole uh, speech at the uh, Anti-Defamation League conference where he spoke uh, 20-something minutes, 24 mm-hmm. minutes, ranting against uh, Facebook and uh, talking about, you know, he gave an example there that if, if the Germans in World War II, if Goebbels had access to Facebook, wow. what would the world look like today? Um, and that Zuckerberg has to step up and that these billionaire businesses have to, be, have to own up. Now, I'm not going to get into that. Now, I thought it was, uh, everybody was so impressed with that speech. I thought it was a, pretty horrible speech uh, full of logical flaws uh, very good intention very important topic for sure um, but what where I do agree that there's a problem is that social media uh, let me let me clarify everything he spoke about that's a problem I agree that's a problem it's his approach to the solution and mm. it's his logic logical um, arguments that were, that, that were wrong yeah. in my opinion but Yeah, one of the things social media is doing is it's creating a false perception of other people's lives in my network. Because people don't... How many people do you see uploading a post on their feed of themselves crying or depressed? How many people... put a post and say I have to share with you today I felt like an utter failure no they show pictures of their trips abroad like they show pictures of their best moments and then you're watching through the feed yeah. and everybody's life is better than yours but still and here we're not here's something different that's not authenticity but still epoch times grew through Facebook Facebook is still the main channel for us to market to people so but it, they didn't compromise its authenticity 
That's no? what I'm saying. I'm saying there's something very powerful. You said before, look, we knew this wasn't going to work. We had already committed to an audience of people who, you know, who, inf- who invested their time in us, mm-hmm. bought tickets, right, cleared their calendar, and we went to them and said, it's not happening. And when they asked us why, we didn't bullshit them. We were yeah. honest. And I'm saying the ability to be honest in your low moments, the ability to trust the relationship that you have with the other person and to trust them, that they will appreciate that honesty, I think is very powerful. But you know, as a human being, I believe in other human beings. I just do. I just believe in the goodness of people. And I see it every day I see it. So, uh, like, four years ago, we, we took uh, the first big, big event. It was in the Opera House. It's like thousands of, thousands of people. And one of the speakers came to me, behind the stand, and said to me, who are these people? He's, he's a person that speaks all over the world, right? Yeah. He's like, where are the people? Where are you bring it from? Where? Where are they? I never saw in Israel such an audience. And because I, when I tell people our audience are not cynical, they are true people that want to learn, the people that want to listen, that want to think. And, but this are a lot of people we're talking about. This is the, um, the silent majority. A lot of the people are silent. They are not speaking so loudly. But they want to listen. They want to learn. And I think... Uh, These are the people that we are approaching. So when we talk about, uh, when we talk with them, we try to respect them. I remember that um, we had a client years ago, which was um, a civil activism NGO dealing with the conflict. Mm-hmm. And this is not about right-wing, left-wing politics. They said something that I remember really echoed with me, and it reminds me of what you just said. And they said... This isn't a conflict between two nations or between two countries. It's a conflict between a silent majority against a violent minority. Hmm. And whether you agree with that or not, whether you think the other side is a silent majority or not, I remember thinking, wow, that's a very powerful framing. And you're right. Most people are silent. The majority of people are silent. Mm-hmm. And I think what you just said reminded me of... So I think I must have worked with, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of startups. My company has probably trained over 3,000 startups just in the last five years alone. And you see the dilemma that these startups have where they have a story. They have mm-hmm. an idea that they're passionate about, that they love. And then they go and they present it to the first investor who starts nitpicking and saying, but what about this and what about this? And I have an, you should do this. And then they meet another one, another one. By the fourth or fifth presentation, they're altering their story to satisfy the investors because they want to make money. And I remember telling them, listen, um, don't try to build a story that your investors will like. Try to find investors who like your story, hmm. which requires a lot of courage because at the end of the day, if you don't get funded in time, you'll die. And I think you, you said something very interesting. You said, I'm not, again, I am not adjusting my content and my approach in order to fill a room. I am filling a room with people who like my approach. 
And these little and these little like versus I am not building content to find sponsors. I am looking for sponsors to enable content. These framings can be so so powerful. Perhaps the most powerful example I heard about that was Domino's Pizza. I don't know if you're familiar with this case. If you look at their stock performance over the last five years, it's right up there with Google, Apple, Facebook, a pizza company. And one of the anecdotes I came across was they woke up one day a few years ago and they said, you know what? We are no longer a pizza delivery company that uses technology. From now on, we are a technology company that delivers pizza. Just think about that framing. Mm -hmm. Suddenly they're thinking, mm -hmm. wait a minute, if I'm a technology company that delivers pizza, why can't you text message to get a pizza? What can we do about our motorcycles that deliver the pizza? Maybe we make them. So you know what they did? They built, they built ovens. That are in the back. You know how there's a box where you put the pizza yeah. in? Right? So you bake the pizza and then you deliver it and it gets cold. They said, we're not going to do that anymore. We're going to use boxes that are ovens. And the heat of the oven will adjust based on the GPS information of how far we are from the delivery point. So wow. the pizza is baking while you're going and it's adjusting to arrive to you perfectly. Which means now my driver is no longer a minimum wage guy who can or a woman who can drive a motorcycle. They have to know how to operate technology. And by the way, just like people can track uh, deliver other deliveries like in FedEx, you can track your pizza. So just this little shift in your mindset can can make the whole difference. What you say about Domino's is actually a good example for what I wanted to say. It's not only that you find the people that like what you do or why you do it, right? The why, Simon Sinek, why? Well, we'll but, talk about that in a minute. Uh, He's wrong. But... <laughs> But um, I think you also need to keep your ears open and listen. It's not only, okay, I have my why and I have what I do and I will find the clients to like what I do. It's a dialogue. It's a dialogue. And But it's this, a dialogue about the how, not about the why, which, by the way, isn't the why. We'll talk about that okay. in a minute. But it's a dialogue. It's a dialogue. All the, yeah, it's a dialogue because all the time I listen to people. I love, to, I love criticism. Not, not sarcastic, sarcastic, but real criticism. Constructive criticism. Yeah, exactly. And because people will come and say, and then you think about it, right? And you change. Because if a company, if a person, if a company doesn't change, doesn't develop, they are dying. So we listen a lot to what people are thinking and what they're saying to us. And we change. We change a lot for the people because we care about, we really care about the audience. And... Yeah. You know, when I just started my, my first event that I ever did, the first event wasn't for making an event. We just wanted people to know us because they all the time ask, ah, you are the people behind the Epoch Times, you do the Epoch Times. So we just did a small event to let us know our audience and the audience knew us. And then we did another and then it became history. And in the few, in the first ones I was talking, when I arranged it, I think about my father. I love my father. I have an amazing father, a uh, really amazing father. And I was thinking, okay, when he will come, what he will enjoy as a respect. I, I'm very respectful okay. for my parents, yeah. my both parents. And I think what he would like, what he will enjoy, not, as a, not only as a, of course, tastes are different, but respect people when you want to respect them, respect are the same. You understand what I mean? Tests are different, but respect are the same. And all the time I think, how can I respect the people that come to speak? How can I respect my audience? How is the environment 
when I'm producing, I'm also doing the production. I'm with the lighting, with the sound, and all the time it's very quiet, it's very smiley. I, I want everybody to be happy. I want everybody to be smiling because I understand that if the sound man is having a fight with somebody else in the lighting or some sponsors have an ego fighting with another sponsor, it influences the, the event, audience. Of course. It has a domino effect. So I try to have respect to everybody for our staff member. Never, and, and it, you know, and then... So let's talk about this for a minute because this is interesting and this is where we get into a field that I love, which is nuance. Um, I love. Everybody around mm-hmm. me hates. <laughs> um, because on the one hand, you don't want to build a story just so that everybody will like you. On the other hand, you definitely want to listen and respect people. Mm-hmm. And I think, again, that seems count- not counterintuitive but contradictory, right? But it isn't. Why is it not contradictory in my opinion? Let's talk about Simon Sinek for a minute. Let's talk about the what, the why, the how. Um, I'll start with, with where I agree with his intentions. It's like Sasha Baron's case. The intentions are good. The premise is interesting, but the logic is faulty. Um, so first I'll clarify Simon Sinek, and then I'll bring it back to what you said. Simon Sinek says start with the why, and the why being the future that I'm aspiring to. The future we aspire to is not the why we do what we do. The future we aspire to is the what we want to accomplish. Hmm. What do you want in the future? I want this to be the future. How are you going to get there? I'm going to do this. Why are you going to do this? Because of the current reality around me. So the why is not the future. The why is the present. Currently, reality is such that I'm not happy with it. Currently, there's a traffic jam on the road from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem, which is why I took a train. If the why was I want to get to Jerusalem, And mm-hmm. you asked me, why did I take a train? Because I want to get to Jerusalem. Why did you walk? Because I want to get to Jerusalem. Why did you take a car? Because I want to get to Jerusalem, right? That doesn't help understand. The why doesn't help explain the choices you make. But if that why is used for explaining the choices you make, it replaces the what. The what is the future. The how is what I'm doing to get there. And the why is because of my current context. So that's where I think he made a big mistake with his start with why that could cost management teams mm. a lot. Now, if you separate the what from the how, and you listen to people about the why, you can pay attention to people and still be authentic to yourself and true to yourself, meaning I'm not changing what I want to do. I continue to want to create good, meaningful content that's authentic, valuable, in-depth, credible, which we didn't talk about yet. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, it is. I'm never going to stop wanting to do that. I'm never going to stop wanting to talk about universal values that will always be true. I'm always going to be that. That's my what. How? I'm so open to listening to my audience about how. So if I'm talking to a client and they're saying to me, look, in the next talk you're given, you're giving less theory, please, more tachlis, more, you know, give yeah. me tools. And they say... We don't want you to spend 15 minutes introducing theory and only then. Can you start with something practical? Can you? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm totally open to it. As long as at the end I've accomplished what I'm committed to accomplishing, which is creating value to my audience by having given them knowledge that they were lacking. So I think that's a good way of balancing the idea of being true to yourself and yet being respectful to others. It all comes from the what, the why, and the how being positioned in the right place. Um, I completely agree with you. Yeah. We had a lot of changes that we're making because of people. 
Like we started just doing inspiration events and then people say to us, okay, we want more tools. Yeah. We need more tools. We need more understanding. So we, we open the, we call it the, the box, the box the, of tools. And yeah, we do toolbox. more, the toolbox, yeah. And we do a morning just to give them tools and we see people like it. So we make it bigger. And we had a community, like people wanted to be a part of our community. So for four or five years, we had a community. And then we see the community is something that is not completely what we want, is, is changing because stuff are changing. So we closed it. And people came to us, are you crazy? You, you finally have, built a community. What you are you doing? And now <laughs> everything is community, community, community. Yeah. And you close in and we say, no, it was. Now it isn't. And it's amazing because after we closed the community, uh, we after we decided to close the community because it's still... It takes time to really close it. It's not completely closed yet. But um, we see more and more communities being closed. So let's talk about that for a minute because this is another idea. How are you? I mean, let me be cynical for a minute. Nobody has time, Adas. Nobody has time. Twitter, quickly, sh quickly. Like the, I, I think I read somewhere that the average attention span of an individual today is seven seconds, mm -hmm. which is one second shorter than a goldfish. <laughs> <laughs> like, our, we're, like we're in the, you know, we're in the instant notification world where your phone's distracting you every three or four seconds. What are you doing writing these long articles? Who has time? Who has attention? People has attention. You know, I'm, uh, I, don't, I don't know the term in English for... Say it in Hebrew, I'll translate. Uh, yeah, ADD, attention deficit yeah, disorder. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm like that. This is why I do so many <laughs> things all together. So, and... I, I can't read anything, but the Epoch Times, I can read it because it's in depth, but he has no, I'm sorry, can I say bullshit? You say anything <laughs> you want. But he has no bullshit. It just gives you what you need. It doesn't, it's not arrogant. It doesn't sound just too fluffy just to, to be intelligent. It's intelligence because it's intelligent. It's not intelligent. BuzzFeed, right? You know BuzzFeed. It's, it's not, not bu man walks into store, you'll never believe what happens next. No, but right? it's not the opposite because some other content think that they need to be intellectu intellectual so they must be so heavy and, heavy right. and uh, big words and, and then people don't enjoy reading them. Right. So when you read us, we try to be eye level, we try to be intelligent, but not arrogant. For, for so. years, by the way, I've been rejecting the term ADD. I, I don't think the people who we use this term to describe actually have an attention deficit disorder. I think they have an attention surplus disorder. And yeah. I think that if you're not interesting enough, and exactly. if you're not relevant enough, they're going to pay attention to something else. And in fact, they have the capacity, we have the capacity to pay attention to more things, which means... Completely agree. Right? Which <laughs> yeah, means I that we are it. much more judgmental and critical in what yeah. we're willing to pay attention to. I can sit down and listen uh, to a 90-minute dialogue between... There was an amazing dialogue between Mark Zuckerberg and Yuval Noah Harari. Mm-hmm. Zero, zero production, right? You look it up online, it's on YouTube. You see two bar chairs, a table, two bottles of water, and these two guys, that's it. Two cameras, one's on Zuckerberg and one on, uh, that goes between them and one on both of them. And for 90 minutes, these people had, these two people had the most in-depth intellectual conversation and I was riveted or I follow Sam Harris. Sam Harris's 
blogs, the interviews, mm-hmm. could go as long as two hours. And so like, I'm, I, I I'm a junkie of uh, Jordan Peterson. Yes, so, okay, uh, of course. Uh, so the same is, why? He's standing there. He's not like this charismatic He guy. He just gives you meaningful content. He's just talking. And when you see in some lectures, he's crying. Yeah. He's standing there and he's crying. And people, they are, they drink what he say. Yes. They drink like, it's like amazing to people. Because this is what I'm saying. You have some values, some core human beings values and stuff that will never change. So, okay, I'm like seven, seven seconds. Okay, I'm the same. Seven seconds. But when I have something that interests me, I will be full inside of it. Yeah. And we try to bring people the things that they are really interested in. Or even if they don't know this stuff are interesting to them, we try to bring them in a way. Ooh, wait, this is interesting. <laughs> this is now interesting. Because again, this is slightly counterintuitive. Yeah. Over and over again, investors that I've met, except for a rare select few, will avoid investing in a company that has its success dependent on its ability to educate or re-educate the market. They're, the ones who succeed are unicorns. But, and what you're saying is, I'm not afraid to educate my audience. Yeah, you not, must. Not educate them with content. That's what you're all about. But I'm not afraid to, to um, tell my audience what they should be thinking about. Not, I'm not you must, to, like, a little bit. What they should care about. It, it's not if you don't uh, try to a little bit irritate, like... Make something spicy in yeah. the food, you know, it's like has no taste. In, in a while, you get used to it. So I love that. You must have some spices there, right? So Positive friction, positive irritation. Yeah, you know, I, I heard a lecture of historical somebody about history. And all the people in the audience were old people. But I loved it. It was so interesting. Really, it was so interesting to me. And I said, how can I bring this guy to talk in big events of like... But your audience is also not millennials. Uh, we, have, we have more and more. We have, it's growing. It's, we have different audience. But we have people in the 40s and 50s. It's not so old. I'm I know, but it's not... I mean, there is, there is a very, very big gap between we have also the millennials students. and the baby boomers. We, we have also students that... Even, I think, to the young people, they will love us even more. I think they're going to love... I, I agree with that. I'll t- I, I think that... Um, we just didn't aim there yet. We just didn't aim there yet. Yeah. So what I was saying, I brought it... I, I took his lecture. We did uh, Epoch 9. It's uh, nine topics, nine people, nine minutes. And he was there. And he was talking about... But it was nine minutes. It was nine minutes. But he was there talking about uh, Churchill versus Hitler, uh, ideology versus values. And it was amazing. Ideology versus values? What's, uh, I, what's yeah. the difference? Doesn't, doesn't a value system fall under ideology? N- I, I will send you the link. <laughs> <laughs> okay, then we'll share the link with our listeners well, as well. Well, actually, like ideology, ideology is more of the Hitler, what he sells to people, the future, the future, the future. And Churchill was selling values, the past, what we have, this and that. Very interesting. Wow, Very no, interesting. I'm not, wow. I'm, I'm, I can already <laughs> okay, see. Okay, this is for the four, de- four that's days. That's for the four days. I'm adding it to the agenda. <laughs> uh, 
And it was very interesting. And it's not, it's a quiet taste, right? It's not something you can throw to people. But we brought it. I want to ask you one last thing about the counterintuitive stuff. But why print? Why print? Why is that necessary? Why are people still... Is that the universal thing of wanting to hold something in my yeah, hands? Yeah. You think? People are all the time... We have like subscription. You can do subscription only to the web. But people love the print. People love to hold. People love to the keep. Tangible. They keep it. They keep it. And they call us and say, uh, the April issue is missing. Can you send it again? And we're like, what? It's amazing. <sighs> it's, it's not old people. It's also young people. And a lot of... Um, New modern business people that going and uh, working in startups, working international, going a lot to flying a lot, they love the magazine because when they are flying, they love having a magazine in the flight. Listen, I got to tell you, in the very least, you're in good company because <laughs> today, one of the most successful companies in the world, of course, is Amazon, mm-hmm. right? And Amazon has been credited, credited as, you know, I'm not sure that's the right word here, for destroying retail, right? Mm, yeah. Um, retail is dead, just like print is dead. But I worked, one of my customers is a company that deals with um, pop-up retail stores. And I was working with him on his investor presentation. One of the slides there said, Amazon will be opening. It is in the current process of opening. Three thousand retail Amazon stores across the United States that's an average of wow. 60 stores per state I was actually I told you this before I was in one of them in New York and you're like no what Amazon is so I guess yeah I was like I must go there it's like I know uh, it's freaky it is yeah, freaky yeah. because you walk into a store um, you scan your prime membership um, when you enter but they're there still are doing a billion different. cameras every, they're doing it different but they're doing retail they're going back to basics right yeah. they're saying people still why would I need a store if I can order everything two day free delivery and soon it's going to be a one day and a two hour and they're going to be drones delivering everything why do I need a retail store and I guess that goes back to what you said mm-hmm. which is unless in 50 years we all become these drones these, these, the, unless in 50 years we all close ourselves in a room put a full virtual reality suit on and never leave our room in which case everything will be digital. I don't believe in you it. You don't believe in it. No, I um, don't. So unless that happens, people will want to walk around, get some sunlight, and walk into a store. So I guess it's not entirely counterintuitive, but it's definitely counter in- per- perceived as counterintuitive mm-hmm. for where the world is going. Well, listen, I, I, I've been taking notes for myself while we were talking, trying to capture and kind of isolate what I think our listeners should take away from our conversation in that, these are universal things they, sh- they can take to their business and to their life, regardless of whether or not they're going to open up another print company, right? Mm-hmm. And I want to read it to you, A, because I'm curious if I missed anything. Wow. Um, I think the power of authenticity and transparency, and I think the difference between the two is authenticity and integrity are what I do when nobody's watching. It's me being true to myself. Transparency is me being true to the person in front of me. And then, of course, vulnerability, which is if, if, if people, if you all care about this topic of vulnerability, which is really very powerful, you should look up uh, Brene Brown, mm-hmm. who started out on TED. And see, she, in my opinion, kind of lost herself and became a superstar. And again, the balance between rating and content, but definitely her content is wonderful. And she speaks about vul- so authenticity slash transparency slash vulnerability 
how can I bring that, how can I make that a component in the equation that is my life and my business? Number two, passion. Yeah, must have passion. Must have passion. Uh, also, Warren Buffett all the time talk about it, right? The first thing is having passion. Listen, I... In 2012, my business partner and myself started another company. We raised money for it. And for three years, we were doing something that I really didn't have a true passion for. But money was coming in from the investors. And I remember, and I moved to New York. I love being in Tel Aviv. And it was something that didn't require me to get up on stages and teach, which is, is who I am. I didn't know that then fully. I only knew I wasn't happy. And uh, it wasn't going well. And then suddenly, six weeks before we ran out of money, we hit gold. And things started happening. And I met with an investor and he said, I'll give you the money you want, but you have to promise me that you're going to stay the CEO of the company and you have to promise me you're going to stay in New York. And I went back to my investors who I was very committed to. You've got to respect the money of these people who are betting on you. And one of the investors, a childhood friend of mine, and I said, I've secured more funding. He says, but you're not happy. <laughs> I said, what do you care if I'm happy? Don't you want to protect your investment? And I'll never forget this. He said, I have enough money. You can say no to this. And I said, no. I packed my stuff and I went back to Israel and we closed the company down. I think it, it was very difficult. He different. saved you. He did save me. <laughs> he really did. Uh, that was his biggest investment in me. Uh, and luckily, we didn't have a board full of other investors and he had put most of the money in. But he gave me the permission to, to stay true to my passion. Uh, number three I, I, yeah. I, I, I must say something because a lot of time you, you hear people say do your passion do what you love don't go to work build a <laughs> career and blah 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 but still we are responsible we must be responsible I'm a mother I, it's not like I don't have a passion to Watch make food <laughs> so starve no I must make food so I must make food so I think the path I, I will t- I will I will make food I will cook the food that I'm passionate about I will try to put music to have fun so I think it's not only to do what you're passionate about it's to be passionate in what you do because sometimes you don't really have a choice but you need to change your mentality and say okay it's like in the kindergarten now you play in the sand so you Make you, the most you, of playing in the sand. Exactly. So be I, passionate about playing in the sand, so I, so even if you don't like the sand. This is wonderful. So again, I think it goes back to the what, the why, and the how. Be passionate about what you do. You don't have to love everything and how you do. Yeah. Sometimes you have to hate how you do because that's what's required. But your passion, it's like running a marathon. You know, you talk to yeah, marathon yeah. runners at the 10-kilometer mark. They usually hit a physical wall. Should they, I'm not passionate about being in pain. Should I stop? No, you need to be passionate about ending exactly, the race. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh, so I think I love that. But you said something else that I love. When you're doing something you don't love, on the path of your passion, find a way to love what you do, the how, the how you do. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Next, um, find the, your universal truth. Like if you can find a universal truth, you're more likely to succeed. Yeah. What that universal truth is, that's going to be the four T days that we yeah, talk. Because yeah, yeah. I think that's where you and I are going to have some gaps. This is spiritual, yeah. Um, be wi- ha- be this wi- I will wi- say I'm doing meditation too. This helps me a lot, helps me a lot. Right. Doing so. meditation, it keeps you in connection of what? So I do micro meditation. What is one minute? Single thought meditations, uh. mantras. Uh. And I do it 500 times a day. Okay, so easily, I, I easily do, 500 times a day. I do Falun Dafa meditation and then do one hour 
each morning. So you have to show me that. That's a takeaway from today's session. Yeah, okay. We'll do one session with me. <laughs> Willingness to change, I don't think that's new to our listeners. I think the world of pivoting is now the hallmark of our time. It's the whole Google, you know, launch and iterate kind of thing. Uh, if you want, for our listeners, if you want some practical recommendations on how to be, how to apply the willingness to change, pivoting capabilities, read books like The Lean Startup, uh, which is very, very important, and, and in that category. And then, and, and then last, I think you didn't speak to it directly, but what I took from you is value, not values, not core values, but creating value. Mm-hmm. If, if, if you are able to really create value to people, you will succeed no matter how counterintuitive what you're doing is, especially if in the process of doing that, you're willing to change how you're trying you to know, create value. I, I completely agree with you, but this with me falls in the respect because when you think about the other, truly think about the other, you want him to have value. understand that if he pay, if he take time to be in your event, you, to watch it, to take... You owe them something. You, you, opened, you yeah. owe them something. You yeah. must give them value. Wow, we covered a lot. Yeah, it was <laughs> I feel, fun. <laughs> I feel like I ran a marathon. It was fun. It was fun, and I hope it's the first of many, uh, even if they won't be all on record, you know, on podcast. Yeah. Uh, Adas, I know how busy you are. Apropos what we just said, you're doing so many things, five kids at home, a husband, friends, a social life, which <laughs> I know you have. I really appreciate that you took the time to come here and to share thank your you. insights. Thank you for the opportunity. I enjoyed every second of it. Me too, thank you. Bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to The Greater Context with Ariel Halevi. For more shows and other great content, visit TelAvivPresents.com slash The Greater Context. See you next time.